Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. James Tarmy writes about the art market for Bloomberg. We recorded this conversation just after you returned from Freeze. Okay, James, you just spent a week in London for the Freeze Art Fair and the I auctions. Did. Yes. What happened? Um, not as much as I think a lot of people would have liked to have happened is, I think, the accurate answer. You mean that there weren't as many sales as people were hoping for? Exactly. Um, I mean, people still sold stuff. I mean, stuff sold in on all levels, actually, I think. Um, but uh, it certainly wasn't a deluge. Um, you know, I think it was a combination of a lack of kind of real enthusiasm for the stock that was being brought, a recognition that um, there's FIAC coming in a week and then TFOF and that overlap. And then um, I honestly think that that there is a hesitancy to spend large sums of money uh, right before the U.S. elections, um, which is something else that we can get into later. But because these are American buyers who are concerned that they may need their cash in the U.S. or that the effect of the American le- uh, elections on the global economy will be so unknown, everyone needs to hold on to their cash. Yeah. I mean, if all of a sudden you, on November 10th, you need to be extremely liquid um, and you've just spent four, $8 million on a painting, um, you're pretty screwed. <laughs> Um, though you, you, you committed to spend four million dollars on a painting, right? No one, no, no one sent that anyone a check. That's absolutely, that's absolutely correct. But I think that's more speculative than we necessarily need to get into. Um, I, I would say that with Freeze itself and with Freeze Masters, there were certainly sales taking place, but it was also certainly subdued to the point of feeling a little bit like a social event as opposed to a sales event. Well. Take me to the scene. Tell me about the opening of the VIP day. God, it was insane, actually, in the sense that there were easily 300 people queuing up, like, from the from the inside of the tent all the way out, snaking down the handicapped ramp and down the stairs. And, then I, and I had gone into it thinking that this was just going to be a total disaster. And when I got there 10 minutes before the opening and saw... Just these scores, I mean, VIPs, I'm using scare quotes here, but scores of VIPs waiting to get, I was like, oh my God, right? this is, this is going to be incredible. And then the kind of clock struck 11, everyone was let in, everyone rushed in like they had somewhere to be. And then no one sold anything the first day. I was, I mean, I was walking around, you know, some people obviously had set up, set up appointments and pre-sales, but, um... You know, I remember last year even when things weren't amazing by any means. Uh, people people were really going in and seeing something they liked and really maybe waiting for a little bit, but a lot of people were pulling the trigger, and that did not seem to be the case. Do you think that's the art economy or the evolution of the fair uh, structure? You can see your gallery or a gallery at numerous fairs, and you can stay in touch with them uh, easily. So much of the art is... Um, pre-sold before the first day, and I imagine that many people go to have a c- conversation, a social uh, engagement with uh, people that they may or may not buy from. 
uh, at a later date? Yeah, I mean, two things. For, I think that's a great question. Um, I think anecdotally, of course, a lot of it wasn't pre-sold, but it was put on hold. I think people wanted to see it for themselves because there was a less of a sense of exigency, right? It wasn't like, buy it now or don't buy it at all. It's not like you have 24 hours after we send you this PDF. Um, I definitely got the distinction that people who might have been interested felt like they had the luxury of time to actually see it in person and look at it and engage with it. Um, so uh, do I think that it's do I think that it's the art world and the art market as a whole, or do I think it's just the kind of subdued nature of the fair? I think that the two things are inseparable. Um, I think that um, for sure, the art world is a di different beast than it was two years ago. Um, and I don't think that's an apocalyptic perspective by any means. I think that it's people are still buying. Um, like you know, it's if you look at the numbers, we're back to a record year in the sense of 2011 was a very strong year over the preceding uh, two or three years, and by no means uh, a lower than you know 2004, you know the distant past kind of thing. So there, there's still a well-functioning art market, at least on the public uh, sales side, mm -hmm. and the last couple of years. Uh, seemed somewhat unsustainable. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And um, I think also, though, that, you know, the brief uh, slump of last year or the beginning of this year, um, people really started kind of working in overdrive, galleries especially. And I know that from speaking with collectors, that all of a sudden they just became inundated by uh, pitches and being kind of sent out uh, various checklists and PDFs ahead of time and that the kind of the takeaway was I think from the gallery side or at least it felt like this for a lot of people with whom I spoke was that these people just sort of started getting deluged with um, different options and when you have all these things kind of just flooding your inbox um, and people actually just calling you up to tell you that something is there and asking you if you want it and asking if you want to come in and so forth um, the idea of necessarily kind of showing face at a fair becomes far less necessary or exigent or urgent or whatever. And and so... But it also seems like they're taking greater care with the presentation of the booths. I mean, I, I saw, for example, Hauser & Wirth's booth yeah. seemed um, decorated in a way that, you know, a, a usual art fair booth uh, isn't where the art is given its space. Here it was trying to present almost a, um, uh, a milieu the way we had seen with uh, the Namads uh, a year or two ago. That, that more... And all those Loy magazines. Well, that, that, that the dealers are making an effort to actually make a presentation. It's funny that you say that. Hazard seemed to be singular as opposed to a sort of demonstration of um, what everyone is trying to do. I actually kind of, I mean, there, there, in the 90s section at Freeze, there is that wonderful um, uh, Tillman's kind of room that I thought was excellent. Um, and, you know, there, at Freeze Masters, there were a series of booths that actually seemed kind of like nicely done, but they're always nicely done. Um, I would say on the whole, actually, it 
the booth didn't necessarily inspire awe, excitement, or an appreciation of an aesthetic um, kind of uh, effort. Um, it, there wasn't a standout. No, there wasn't a there wasn't a single booth that everyone was saying, "Oh, you have to see this, that, or the other thing." You know, it was um, in that respect. I think actually fairly disappointing. Um, well, it did feel like a year, almost unexpectedly, that the auction stole the show. That yeah, totally. Well, I mean, they did better than anyone could have expected. And they weren't banned. I mean, they were great. They did, they did fine. And um, that was what a lot of people were talking about. No one was talking about the sales at Freeze. People were talking about the auctions at these various dinners. Um, and... Um, the other, the other funny thing is that people, uh, and de dealers and collectors and uh, one or two advisors with whom I spoke all said, stuff is selling, but not the stuff that people brought. <laughs> um, it's so weird that uh, there was, it again. I think this is the kind of occasion of people talking with each other and saying, like having a face to face and a conversation that doesn't feel stilted, and saying, oh well, we have this piece and this piece and this piece in stock, would you be interested? And the person says, well, yes, I would be interested, right? And they're there just to kind of check out the booth, but then all of a sudden, like, or they, they, they all of a sudden are going to the gallery, you know, in the, in the London branch that they usually don't go to. Um, and so, I don't know. I, again, it, it, to me, really felt like a a kind of sh occasion for schmoozing, which all art fairs are obviously, but um, there was none of that, there was none of, there was none, none of the kind of like feeling that this is sold and that's sold and this is sold and that's sold. You know, what you're describing need not be a bad thing. It may be a sign that, you know how that old saw, uh, buy with your eyes, not with your ears that this idea of people crowding towards the must-have that they're afraid someone else is going to get first is um, ebbed away and that people are actually pursuing particular interests that need to come out in conversation, that need to start with whatever's on the wall or in the, you know, the storage closet, the back room, and leads to, oh, I didn't know you were looking for this. We actually have it, and here are you know, some uh, images I can uh, share with you. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that it's actually bad for smaller fairs um, because smaller fairs are often uh, kind of full of galleries that a lot of people haven't heard of or don't have relationships uh, with or to. Um, and just my experience of it is that uh, oftentimes when you go through uh, one of the larger fairs, be it Freeze or Basel or whatever, and um, you find that a lot of the stuff in your price range that you want is kind of sold out or that there's there does seem to be this frenzy of kind of discovery then all of a sudden you begin to look elsewhere when a lot of avenues are shut out to you uh shut to you rather or you feel like maybe there's like th this this kind of hype and excitement can kind of trickle down a little bit and without that there's far less kind of uh, impetus to really kind of explore these places looking for for finds, especially when you kind of don't have that urgency that I spoke about, but also you don't have, I mean, you already are dealing with such a, 
large number of things being offered to you in the first place. Um, you don't feel like you need to search for anything. And that's what a few people said to me. And no one went to the Sunday fair. Um, and, uh, or at least, let me, let me rephrase. I'm sure many people went to the Sunday fair, but no one with whom I spoke who is a kind of pretty dedicated collector went there. Who was likely to spend money if they found something. There. Exactly, yeah. But, you know, I mean, again, all of that isn't to say, I, I, I feel like I'm being too pessimistic or negative. I don't necessarily think that any of these things are bad. I think that we're in the process of a shift, right? And um, Do you, a shift toward something that you can see or just you feel a shift coming and it's not clear what comes next? God, if I could see it, I could help people make a lot of money. I have no idea what we're shifting to. Um, so, and so every time that I do think I know, I'm always wrong, so... Well, let's let's slightly switch gears and talk about you know one of the big themes uh, about why the auctions were so successful was supposedly the um, drop in the pound was driving uh, a frenzy to spend money at a great discount. Um, but you were there and had a sense from the dealers that the buying was from abroad, from uh, British buyers. From whom? No, I mean, and I, I will, I will hawk my own piece here. I, I wrote a piece to this effect that um, the British were not buying, at least anecdotally, from what dealers told me. Um, the the British couldn't buy, um, and people were pricing most of their works in dollars and occasionally euros. Um, and so it's not like oh, all of a sudden this is affordable because everything was always priced in dollars in the first place. Or if it wasn't priced in dollars, it soon became priced in dollars. So this, this narrative that, that the money is cheap so they're spending doesn't really, doesn't really, I think, pan out, especially given if you look at the conversion rates, all of the lots that they were selling and for the estimates were basically on par with what they should have been regardless of the pound or the dollar. Well, uh, the conversion rates really are for outside buyers, but the question is where the works are sourced. I mean, the, the example I think of is the um, Basquiat uh, Hannibal that sold very well this time. Uh, couldn't possibly have um, been for an outsider uh, a, a matter of the pound being cheaper because they, they had the opportunity to buy that work when it was uh, for sale a year ago. Did they ever? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, we, are, we, we, are, we are saying the same thing. I, I think that that narrative is completely preposterous. I think that um, the only thing the currency fluctuations of the pound did were keep one group of buyers away. Um, I don't think that it necessarily made people buy more or less. Um, that one group of buyers being British buyers who are just priced out of yeah, the market. Yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, they they have 30% less spending power. Um, and and the, the looming terror of the Brexit and Theresa May's speech, which everyone was talking about, I'm going to horribly misquote that one line that got reprinted everywhere, but it was like, like a citizen of the world is belongs to no state at all or something like that. If you're a citizen of the world, you're a citizen of nowhere. Exactly, yes. See, much pithier than the way that I can recreate it. Which is interesting because almost by definition, the people who go to art fairs around the world are citizens of the world 
They are people who usually own multiple homes. They are comfortable, in fact, attracted to making the circuit around the world to different art fairs. Yeah. The, the idea that they would be sympathetic towards that, that seems to me um, unlikely. <sighs> yeah, oh, I mean, people are just appalled. Um, and as they should be, you know, this is this like weirdly provincial xenophobia that we have empirical evidence that points to it leading nowhere good. Um, yes, but that's, there's no, you have no control over that. And as some people have suggested, contrary to the uh, assumption that the art market will in London will suffer, that the art market actually may benefit from it being treated as um almost a neutral zone uh, where there are advantageous terms and people will go to London to buy and sell. I mean, I think that is deeply optimistic. Let's put it that way. Um, I mean, I, again, like, I, I don't think anything remarkable is going to happen to any of this for a long time. But also, I mean, if you just look at what, if you look at the home growth, right, the, the London art market obviously is international, but it is also, there's a lot of money that comes from the city. And if you look at what Theresa May is saying about her refusal to uh, kind of guarantee the existing uh, tax and legal protections for um, banks in the city and various funds in the city, then all of a sudden, a lot of people are going to be getting bonuses that are a whole lot smaller, and they're going to have a lot less money to give to their decorators or advisors or whoever is buying money for their second home in the south of France. I mean, it's just a fact. Um, and so, yeah, London might be a safe zone, whatever that is supposed to mean, but safe for whom is the question. And It's just interesting that the auctions themselves were very strong, mm. and the... Um, gallery business was re uh, relatively muted since many of those galleries are not London-based galleries. Yeah, it's, it, is, it is interesting and it's especially interesting because it basically flies totally in the face of the conventional narrative of the last six months, which is that auctions are kind of ebbing and there's a resurgence of galleries. Again, I don't want to overstate this. Galleries were still, were still selling art and I don't think any of these people were upset that they showed up to freeze, right? No one, everyone with whom I spoke had sold at least one painting so, or object of some, of some kind. R literally everyone. And, and, um, and, and that was in the first day of the fair. And I also got the impression that people, because they didn't have, feel like they had a gun to their head, were waiting a little bit and buying a day or so later. So, I mean, I think it was worth everyone's while to attend. Um, it just felt very different and uh, than, than years past. And that's fine, as we were saying, but in a market where so much of the demand is perception-based, when there is a different kind of group consensus or kind of general feel to something that can have truly dramatic repercussions. And this is not based on my own kind of like divining with a stick sort of situation. This is based on talking to a lot of people at a lot of different, in a lot of different contexts from dinners to receptions to the fair itself. I would say that the collection of anecdotes that I got was of a kind of sort of like business as usual, which is to say business that makes money but isn't giddy, shall we say. And, you know, I mean, of course, then there are all these artists who, I mean, you know, you, you go around and 
various galleries have various very in-demand artists and I'm sure I like I actually don't know how they, how they went but you know everyone was talking about the Udicoder show at Completely Presti you know I mean there there are these shows that and I mean what, there was what, what were the other shows that people were well what was incredible is I went to the opening of uh, the Almin Resh uh, the Jeff Koon show at Almin Resh and there was a literal line and I mean I to get in like a club, to get in like a club along with a bouncer and like, a, like velvet rope, two very um, severe-faced women who were totally over it, uh, keeping people away but like letting a few people in. It was it was amazing, and, it, it, and you know the thing is that like it's all these kind of glass walls. So there was, I mean, all of these like, I mean, some very very well-dressed people who were and it was cold and windy. I'd say at least 60 people were waiting to get into a Jeff Koons show of gazing balls and a few uh, dancers. Um, Any guesses on what was the uh, attraction? What well, Jeff Koons was there. Okay. Um, and, you know, doing his Jeff Koons poses with people. Um, I mean, honestly, I was a little bit mystified by it. <laughs> uh, other shows that um, people were talking about? Jim Nutt at the Cabinet Gallery in their beautiful new building, which was written up by the FT and all these other places. And it's this octagonal kind of space in the middle of a pleasure park in Vauxhall. And it's the, the, Jim, the Jim Nutt show is really, really lovely. I mean, there was only one work for sale in the entire show. And did you go to the Royal Academy um, Abstract Expression? Oh, show? God. I like. I mean, tell us how you really feel, James. I'm sorry. I I know that a lot of the people who say they liked it had a financial interest in liking it, so we can leave that aside. Um, I I was astonished by one the fact that it existed, two that someone had somehow found the money to pay for all these works to show up there for that show. I gather there was some concern that they wouldn't be able to get it insured. Well, I mean. And then, and then, you know, a few artists came out very well from it. Um, Jackson Pollock, if you can believe it, did great, as did Clifford Still, um, who they did, a, they did a wonderful room. But um, I think a lot of people remarked that the show was valuable and important to them, less for the way it was hung. And there were a lot of complaints about the way it was hung and that there was too much in the show but more for the, just the opportunity to see a lot of works that would never be together or you wouldn't have access to because they were fairly far flung. Yeah, I mean, that's always a great reason to see a show. I'm not sure that putting a bunch of stuff in a room that is nice stuff is a museum exhibition. I think that whoever spends vast sums of money and presumably years organizing something has a responsibility not only to the people who give them these works but also the viewers who come to see them to do their best to uh, present the works in an, an interesting way and in an interesting chronology and in a way that actually makes you rethink the things that you're seeing. And what else did you do while you were there in, in, the, in art world terms? <laughs> Yeah, okay, so I saw the, the Philip Perino and the Tate's Turbine Hall, which was really lovely, but then it broke, 
um, these kind of panels rise and fall dramatically from the ceiling. Um, but the drama came from the mechanical systems instead while I was there. But it was lovely and um, uh, it, it, was, it was once again lovely to see how the um, new addition to the Tate is kind of holding up a few, a few months in. So uh, moving away from London and um, uh, Freeze, uh, we're starting to now, we've cleared the decks of Freeze, we can start looking towards the November sales in New York. Do you have, um, you know, any sort of feeling for what people are saying about, you know, a couple of big uh, things were recently announced by Christie's. Mm -hmm. We'll, I'm sure, get a bit more uh, of last-minute things in the next few weeks that uh, they want us to get excited about. I have to say that, I mean, I haven't heard anything specific about any like no no one said one thing or another i think the general narrative was concern about the elections and that basically no one knew how these auctions were going to turn out because they're the day after you know um we find out if donald trump is president donald trump is bad for art that's the, the yeah well i mean and that's the thing it's just it's just there's trepidation and and so no one can actually say whether or not these sales are going to do great or poorly based on, I mean, the fact that there is, no matter what your perspective on the election or your certainty that one person will win or someone else will win, regardless, there is a massive, potentially world-changing event that happens a day or two before these auctions. And regardless of your hope or certainty or feelings about it, um, it does have an effect. It's 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 its existence is fundamentally something that actually has has an impact. So what you're saying is we could see wildly unexpected things just because the the, the whipsaw effect of whatever happens in the election combined with whatever's in the sales could mean anything happening. Yeah, and I mean this is unsubstantiated and totally not something that I heard from anyone in the auction houses, but people were saying that Kind of, there was the concern that consigners wouldn't actually want to uh, volunteer their artwork because of this kind of potential volatility. Um, but uh, I, I didn't hear that from anyone who I spoke to at an auction house. So well, and Christie's lined up their uh, important headlining works, right? Uh, whether. Uh, uh, in that environment, so they've got them, and mm -hmm. we'll see. I mean, I suppose that some could be withdrawn, but I would think the hardest time was actually a few weeks ago, a few months ago, when Donald Trump was very strong. Yeah, actually getting someone to consign in that environment, and, and the fact that they did is, is a testament to them. No, oh, very skillful. There's been a lot of jockeying go, yeah. go, going on. Uh, these auctions seem to be as much about uh, the chess game between the auction houses as it is about the art market in and of itself. Yeah. I'm sure we will, just as we did this last week, we will see things sell that no one really paid attention to in the lead up to the, the sale. Yeah. And it will reveal uh, things that are a bit more um, uh, hidden below the surface mm -hmm. uh, uh, about who, uh, you know, is after what kind of work. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I think uh, the only certainty is uncertainty. 
Yes, that may be the motto of the uh, art market, right? Yeah. The only certainty is uncertainty. Yeah, for the for the time being, at least. And that's a good place to finish up. James, thank you for your time. And thank you so much for having me. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 